Ecclesiastes 1, verse 12. I, the teacher, or the quester, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. What a heavy burden God has laid on the human race. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. What is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. I said to myself, look, I've grown and increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I have experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly. But I learned that this too is a chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. Now, do we have any uh, Star Trek fans here? Any, any, any Trekkies? Yeah, you can tell because the hands just go straight up. It's like they, that's pride, you know, Trekkies. Yeah. No, I'm not talking about Star Trek like the next generation. This is, I'm talking about original, you know, the 1960s Star Trek. You remember Star Trek, right? William Shatner, back in his younger days, back in his slightly thinner days. <laughs> Captain Kirk, you know, that you, some of you really are into this, aren't you? Some of you are a bit scared maybe to admit, but, but, you've, but you've got that brown-orange top in your wardrobe, don't you? Some of you have got one and you've got a little model of the Starship Enterprise on your bookshelf and you've dreamed of having the Dr. Spock haircut, some of you. <laughs> I know how it is. Star Trek, it's just got an amazing cult following, doesn't it, that program, given that you know, 1960s was the original and uh, Captain Kirk and his crew, the mission, you remember, to boldly go where no one, no man, I think they said at the time, no man has gone before exploring space, the final frontier, trying to explore alien life forms, extraterrestrial life forms to, to make sense of the world, to make sense of the universe. I think one of the reasons Star Trek was so popular is because when you think about that first series, when it first screened, it was exactly the time that NASA was undertaking a huge space mission that culminated with the, the 1969 uh, moon landing. And so it was, it was like life imitating art. You have humanity believing in its ability to reach into this final frontier and we want, to see, we want to grab hold of a program that's actually doing that. It just feeds right into what was actually happening through uh, space exploration at the time. I think the quester in Ecclesiastes, I think he would have made a good crew member on the Starship Enterprise. He's got that kind of spirit. I mean, this is, he's not exploring the final frontier of space, but, but before all of that, he, what he is doing is trying to explore the final frontier of life on Earth. And his mission is just as ambitious as the Starship Enterprise. He tells us what his mission is in verse, 12, uh, verse 13. I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. That's, that's about on par with to boldly go where no man has gone before to study and explore all that's done under the heavens. What he wants to do is look around and understand life. Not life out in space. He wants to understand life on earth. 
and to systematically explore all its different components, all the things that human beings get involved in, all the things we spend our time doing, and try to figure out what does it mean? What is the significance of this? He's using the tool of wisdom. That's his vehicle to try and understand. If he can apply wisdom to these situations and understand what does it mean to live wisely and what do I need to do that will enable me to have peace, prosperity, long life and a good reputation and what things do I need to avoid that aren't wise that will lead me to be destroyed and conquered and overthrown and and, and depressed and despairing. He's trying to undertake the systematic documenting of life in all of its complexity under the sun. That's a huge mission. And I think that the thing that he shares in common with Captain Kirk and the Starship Enterprise is that both of them, underneath this search they're going on, there is this longing to get control of life. I think that's the subtext. There's a longing to be able to control. You know, you think about Star Trek, if we can understand what's out there, if we can document it, categorise alien life forms, whatever, then we can tame the universe. We can conquer the final frontier. We can domesticate space so it's not this strange realm. Same thing. That's exactly what the author of Ecclesiastes is trying to do. If I can understand wisdom, understand life, categorise what is wise, what is unwise, what will lead to this outcome, what will lead to that outcome, then I'm going to be able to gain control over life. I will know that by doing X, Y, Z, these outcomes will be, I will have this kind of life by avoiding this, 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 I will avoid these things over there. He gains, he wants to gain a sense of control. And don't we all? I mean, this is, this is understandable, isn't it? This is common stuff. We want to feel like we're in control of life, don't we? We want to feel, we want to be able to control our work-life balance. We want, to, we want to control our workplace. We want to try and control our families. We want to control our health. We want to try and have some control around our finances. We try and put these things in an orderly system, in an orderly way, and bring in some kind of mechanism of controlling life so that there is order so that there is a sense of stability, so that we know what to expect, so that life is in some way predictable. I don't think this is just about being introverted or extroverted. You might be a really messy person. You might, you might be fine with, with, a, with an incredibly untidy house, but I think still all of us, at a deep level, we desire control over our lives. Just a basic human instinct. We want to be able to control So we figure out what is what and how life works so that we can bring a sense of control into these various components of life. This is exactly what the author of Ecclesiastes is doing. Now the problem is for him that he doesn't get far on this quest for meaning, this desire to control life and its various components. He just slams into a brick wall. And and in the very next verse in Ecclesiastes 1, he gives us his conclusion. He's going to come back a bit later and circle back to the search itself and what he did and how it worked and what he found. But, but then he comes, in verse 14, he just gives us the outcome. He just jumps straight to what he's found. He's undertaken this search for meaning, this quest for control, and he says in verse 14, I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. 
All of them are meaningless. They're chasing after the wind. That's what he's concluded. And then he gives us this little saying. It's like a little proverb in verse 15. What is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. When I first read that little phrase, when I first read that, that proverb, I thought that the, what the quester was doing was making a moral statement. Because when you read it, when you think about those words, what is crooked cannot be straightened. It sounds like he's saying life is crooked as in life is evil or life is bad or life is morally deficient. We think about a crooked person being a corrupt person, being a, an evil person. But I'm not sure that that's what he's getting at. I think it's better to focus on the last half of these two lines. The last half of these two phrases where he says, what is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. Because that's what the quester was trying to do. He was trying to create for himself and for everybody a nice straight life where, where things were smooth. He could just get things lined up and bring control. He had a straight life, trying to provide an accurate count and categorization of life to bring order, to bring control. But what he finds is this irrefutable law that what is crooked cannot be straightened and what is lacking cannot be counted. I think what he bumps up against is the reality that much as we try and impose control on our lives, there seems to be built into the very fabric of our existence a degree of chaos. And that life resists our attempts to control it. Do you find this? We try and bring order, we try and bring stability, we try and bring, you try and control your team at work. You think about it. You try and use good management principles good employee-employer relations. You try and get alongside people, you've got a team, they've got job descriptions, they've got key performance indicators, they know the project, they know what's supposed to happen. By all the rules of management, this should be working, but it's not. You've been in that place. It's, you're trying to control, and, and for whatever reason, it, it, it's, it's chaotic. The team is resisting your ability to control it, and life does this to us. We want control, but life seems to dish up chaos. I was sitting at home last Sunday night. Anna and I are staying at mum and dad's place at the moment until we move into our new house. And we were just sitting down. Joshua was almost in bed, just finishing his bottle. And we were just chilling, just starting to relax. And then we heard from outside the main front door, this guy calling, Help! Help! We raced outside onto the deck and, and mum and dad live right on the water, right on the harbour. We looked out and about 150 metres out into the harbour, there's a tiny little, little dot. As, as we got the binoculars, we saw this was, this was a guy bobbing in the water with a virtually submerged kayak. He's just got his paddle that he's left holding onto and he is starting to panic. He's, he's screaming out, help, help, can you, can you see me, can you hear me? So mum and Anna are trying to communicate with him. Dad jumps on the phone to 111 trying to get some response going. I dive down to the beach which was kind of round the, round the point and ran around trying to find someone who had a boat or had a kayak or had something that we could get out to him. 
I found a lady just sitting in her car there and I said, do, do you know anyone who's got a boat, anyone who's got a kayak? There's a guy out there, he's in trouble, we've got to get out to him. And she said, oh, my partner's out on that tugboat that's anchored just out. It was about 200 metres out, just sitting there, blue tugboat. She said, my partner's on that boat doing some maintenance. If I can call him, he can get into this little, um, this little motorboat anchored to the tugboat and get out to the guy. So she's calling him and he's not picking up. I'm running down to the water, trying to scream out to the guy in the tugboat, look at the kayaker, you know, trying to get him focused. He doesn't hear me. She finally gets through to her partner. And you can see the moment that he realised what was going on. He dives, almost dived off the side of his tugboat into this um, small little metal motorboat and just canes across the, 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 the harbour towards this kayaker. By the time he got to the guy, thankfully another kayaker had already made it to him and was stabilising him. But even then, the kayaker that had come to the rescue was being sort of pulled under a bit by this and the guy in the motorboat managed to sort of get him in and take him back. I never met, I just took off and uh, didn't, didn't, didn't meet the guy when he came back to, to land once I knew that he was okay. But uh, you just think about that guy's situation. He's in a nice kayak on a Sunday afternoon paddle along the edge of the harbour and in a second, in an instant, his life turns to complete chaos. And for us as well, here we are sitting down enjoying a nice Sunday evening at home and, and in a second, suddenly complete and utter chaos. And life does this to us. I mean, this is what happened um, on a much bigger scale, of course, in Christchurch last week. In a second, everything changes. Chaos interrupts. Chaos interrupts our ability to control life. And it's not just events of chaos that suddenly come as crises. It's just the things that you're trying to control, but you can't. You're trying to impose a sense of control, but life just won't have it. Life's not a machine. You can just pull a lever, press a button, and it's going to deliver you what you think needs to be delivered. Well, the quester steps back from all this, and his conclusion is quite depressing. He basically decides that in view of that, everything's meaningless. That because we can't control life, because wisdom can't determine these particular outcomes, everything's meaningless. In verse 18, with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. His response to this is basically despair and despondency. But I wonder if there's another way of approaching this. I wonder, what, what if God didn't intend us to be able to control everything? What if God's plan is not that you impose a system of order and control all the time? What if some, somehow chaos can actually be good sometimes? Right at the beginning of the Bible, the, very, the second verse of the Bible, not the first verse where God creates the heavens and the earth, but after that, there's an interesting verse in, chapter two, in, in, in verse 2 of chapter 1. The earth is, is created, creation has come into being, but we read that the earth is formless and void, and darkness is over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God is hovering over the waters. It's a very ominous picture. In the ancient world, the waters, more particularly the sea, the ocean, represented chaos. The sea was a realm that was like, kind of like space for Star Trek. It was the uncharted territories. It was foreboding. It was a place of fear. Lives had been lost there. People didn't know much about it. They stayed away from it. That's how ancient peoples saw the ocean, saw the sea. And so you have this reference in Genesis 1-2 to the sea, and I think it's conjuring up. I mean, obviously there's literally sea covering the earth, but there's also, I think, the idea that this, 
somehow represents chaos. I don't think it would be heresy to say that God brings forth a world, but at this point the world is still somewhat chaotic. That it is a foreboding place. Water covers the earth. But what you notice right there in this scene of chaos is the Spirit of God hovering over the waters. Hovering over the waters of chaos. Not just imposing order, but right there, even while it's still chaotic, the Spirit of God is just hovering there. Just presiding over that whole scene. I wonder if this could somehow be a pattern of how God works in the chaos of our lives. It's certainly how he worked at the cross. You think about that scene, that great climactic scene of the scriptures, the chaos of the crucifixion, the chaos of Jesus' disciples who have deserted him, virtually all of them ran away at the last minute, the chaos of the crowd, the mob that's wanting him crucified, that's vying for blood, the chaos of the Roman authorities and the Jewish authorities where justice has completely broken down in order to sentence an innocent man to this kind of death. An utter scene of chaos and yet... Over this scene of chaos, the Spirit of God is hovering. Now, we don't read that explicitly in the text, but we know enough to know that the Spirit of God is hovering over this scene of chaos. And God works in the middle of that chaos to bring forth new life, just like he did in creation. In fact, I think these two stories in some ways go together. In Genesis 1, you have the Spirit of God hovering over chaos and then God brings forth creation out of chaos. At the crucifixion, you have God the Father and the Spirit hovering over the scene of chaos and bringing forth new creation. Bringing forth an entirely new creation. That was the moment when creation began, that and and the resurrection. And so if God's hovering over the waters of chaos and God's hovered over the cross of Christ, could it be that God is hovering over the waters of chaos in your life? You think of the situations that you're facing. Think of the things that are frustrating you and just resisting your ability right now to control them. We generally want to assume that God is only present when there is order and stability. When I can control life, put it in a box and, and make it work like a machine, God then is present and he shows up and things are good. What if... God is right there in the middle of the chaos. And what if what he wants from you is to stop banging your head against the chaos, but to accept that what is crooked cannot be straightened and it's not your job to straighten it. What is lacking cannot be counted and it's not your job to count it. It's not your job to try and straighten out what is wrong. It is your job to seek the presence of God in the chaos. To tune into the way that God might be working right there in the middle of the exasperation and the frustration and the agony of that chaos. What God desires is for us to draw into him, to lean into him in the midst of that chaos, to become aware of his presence in it and stop kicking against it. Now, that doesn't mean we don't, be, 
well-managed people. Yes, you're still going to try and discipline your kids. Yes, you're still going to try and be a well-managed employee. Yes, you're still going to try and manage your health. This is not about being lazy and disorganised, but it's about accepting that chaos is just part of the life experience of human beings. It's woven into the fabric of life. So let's not spend our last ounce of energy kicking and fighting against it, but let's learn to seek God in it, to know him in it, to experience his power right there in the middle of the chaos and make friends with the idea that what is lacking cannot, for now, be counted. Maybe God wants us to have a different response to chaos than just seeing life as a machine. Life's not a machine. It's something else. A few weeks ago, Anna and I went sailing for the first time ever. First time I'd ever set foot on a sailing yacht. We went out with Tim and my Anna Johnston. And we'd sailed from Gulf Harbour towards Rikino Island out the back of Motutapu. And the wind was kind of, it wasn't, wasn't exactly behind us. It wasn't the perfect wind. It was sort of coming sideways at us. Uh, the waves were a little bit choppy, but it wasn't too bad. Anna lasted about half an hour and then seasick. And then, so she spent most of the trip over there, downstairs, trying to sleep it off. I, on the other hand, took control. And uh, I, uh, well, you know, I tried. I, I, Tim and Moana graciously, with a lot of supervision, gave me a, a, a shot working the tiller and steering the yacht and trying to just get the hang of what this was all about. I'd never done it before, but it was an interesting process trying to figure out how to steer this yacht because I'd kind of assumed this was just a kind of scientific calculation. You point the yacht in the direction you want it to go. I've got my eye on the island and we're heading straight. But you realise it, it's part science, you know, it's part having a destination in mind. But a lot of it is trying to develop this instinct, which I didn't really have, this feeling of positioning the yacht in just the right way to allow the wind to fill the sails and guide you forward, to take advantage of and harness the power of this incredible wind so that it is propelling you, it is the power that's pushing you forward and you just angle it you just, and you just feel that moment when the wind is filling the sails to the, to the full and you've really got the wind uh, going and, 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 and it's pushing you forward. You're still trying to chart some kind of a course but you're angling that boat to try and maximise the power of the wind. And we joked at the time, there had to be at least one sermon illustration out of that whole day. And, and this will be the first of many, don't worry. I'll, I'll, I'll pull out about one a week. But here's the first one. I, I think maybe could this be a pattern of how God works in chaos. Maybe life's not a machine that we're just supposed to pull levers, press buttons and just kind of mechanically bring control. Maybe God works in such a way that the wind of the Spirit is supposed to come and fill our sails and push us forward and our job is just to put up the sails and let God blow and take us where he wants us to go, in his time, in his way. Jesus said, the wind blows where it will. You don't know where it comes from, you don't know where it's going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. The Spirit of God is, is not subject to our systems of control and order. And God's plan is not to jump in and hand back control to you. His plan is to work right there in the middle of the chaos to bring forth new life by the power of His Spirit. To work in it. To fill it with His power and bring forth new life. Maybe He's wanting to teach you something in the middle of your chaos. Maybe He's wanting to teach you to trust Him. 
Maybe he's wanting to teach you to relax, to go with it, to ride that chaos like a wave. Maybe he's wanting to teach you to be more aware of his presence, to stop feeling like you can just fix it and solve it and sort it out and get it set. You just need to surrender to it. Surrender to him, just put up the sails, become aware of his presence, let the power of the Spirit blow into that chaos and let God bring forth the new life just as he wants to. It goes against the grain for me too, I know, because I'm a structure person. I'm a task-focused person. Anna was horrified after we'd gotten married and one Saturday I suggested we made a list of the things we needed to do that day. And then I suggested that we alphabetize the list <laughs> into, into A's and B's and C's. And then that wasn't quite specific enough for me, so I suggested we numbered them off A1, A2, A3, <laughs> B1, B. So this is who I am. You know, I'm preaching to myself. I don't deal well with chaos. I, I came into this... I came into this church with that kind of mindset, into this role. We, you know, like the church is a machine. If we can just get the ministry set, job descriptions, order, structure, control, we will produce the church. I feel so stupid even saying it now. You know? <laughs> but honestly, this is just what I've had to learn. And I remember sitting in an elders meeting where I proposed this great process for a strategic plan and just the feeling of being, after that meeting, really uncomfortable with that. It's like God was just prompting me saying, no, this life is not a machine and my church is certainly not a machine. That's what I felt the Lord saying. This is not something you can control. You need to put up the sails, let the wind of the Spirit. Now, of course, we'll still be well managed. Our ministries have plans, we know. But at the big picture level, I've learned that we need to posture ourselves to listen. And some of the best things that have happened in this church over the past five years are things we never could have planned. That's the thing. Things like 24-7 youth work and having Joel in this school wouldn't have been on my strategic plan five years ago. It's an opportunity. The wind of the Spirit blew. We had to be responsive. God passed by with this opportunity in this moment. We had to respond. It was beyond our control and that's how God wanted it. Maybe that's how he wants it for you too. God's not trying to hurt you. He's not trying to make life painful for you. But maybe in the middle of the chaos, he's teaching you. Maybe he's drawing you to himself. Maybe he's just breaking you open and sensitizing you to his voice. So be aware of where God might just be working right there in the middle of your chaos. Right at the end of the Bible, I'm wrapping up with this, right at the end of the Bible in Revelation 21, it's a beautiful picture of the new heavens and the new earth and there's an intriguing little phrase that's used in Revelation 21, listen to this. See, listen to this in view of that verse we read in Genesis 1-2 about the Spirit hovering over the waters. Keep that in mind. Now read this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. You're not as excited about that as I was when I read it. <laughs> for years I have, I have been troubled by what is this about? Why would there be no sea? In the new creation. But what's going on, I think, is this, uh, there may literally be sea, possibly, but this is this beautiful metaphor of saying the waters of chaos have been dried up. In the new creation, no more chaos. Finally, then, what is crooked will be straightened, and what is lacking will be counted, and the waters of chaos will be no more. There'll be no more sea in the sense of that 
hopeless chaos that throws us into turmoil. God will deal with that in his time in the new creation. But for now, chaos is part of life. So let's reconcile ourselves to it. Let's make friends with it and stop kicking against what we just can't control. Let's accept the chaos. Right now, the situations in our lives we cannot control, let's learn to accept that. Let's be well-managed people, but let's accept the chaos. Let's learn to seek God's presence in it. Let's learn to be aware of the Spirit of God hovering over the waters of chaos in your life and mine. Let's just know Him in the chaos. And let's put up the sails and let the wind of the Spirit blow into that chaos and bring new life, bring new creation out of it in His time, in His way, for His glory. Father, we thank You that You are a God of, a God of chaos sometimes. Lord, you don't necessarily cause it to happen. But Father, your goal is not that we just try and control everything. And we think of situations in our lives right now, Lord, where we're just trying to, trying to control and trying to take more control than really we should. Father, we want to leave those situations to you. And even now, we just rest in the security that you are in control. You may not be doing it the way we want, but Father, you're in control. I pray for everyone in this room who is facing situations this morning that are beyond their ability to control them. Help them to rest in you. Give them the peace of knowing that you are Lord, that you're in control. You're going to work things out in your time. But make us so sensitive to your presence and your voice. Work in our chaos and bring forth new life, we pray. In Jesus' name. Connection Point is a joint production between Connection Resources and Shore Community Christian Church. If you would like a free copy of today's message, please email us or phone us on 0800 90 30 90. To subscribe to our free podcasts or to listen to the latest message, go to connectionresources.org.nz.